Have you ever scrambled with thoughts on how you were going to entertain your guest at your big event or big event that you were hosting? Why not treat your amazing guest with live music? Allow me to personally recommend to you a saxophonist that's guaranteed to bring his best every time he performs. Verl Tolbert is his name. His bilanguage, his enthusiasm, his smile will tell you his story. Verl played at my wedding and he was also a guest on this podcast, episode number four. A natural entertainer and talented musician, Verl T, the perfect choice for all events and special occasions, playing smooth jazz, R&B, neo-soul, blues, pop, and gospel music are his passion. Saxophonist Verl Tolbert is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and has been playing saxophone for over 15 years. Verl T plays alto, soprano saxophone, electric wind instrument, also known as the iwi, with a heavy dose of soul. Allow Verl T to help make your event something super special. For booking information, navigate to verlt.com. That's Verl spelled V-E-A-R-L, the letter T, dot com. Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media. Find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast, on Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes to iHeartRadio to Spotify. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. When you hear about law enforcement officers, you often hear about them responding to a call, taking on a call in a pretty intense situation. Have you stopped and ever wondered about the law enforcement officer themselves? What do they go through? What are they thinking? My name is Wong Lam, your host of the Finding Moments podcast, and that's exactly what my wife and I had the amazing opportunity to do. We've been watching Live PD for a couple years now, and recently, a few months ago, Live PD was in Nye County sheriff's department and they're live tweeting with the deputies so the deputy asked a question we responded we asked a question back and lieutenant eric murphy from the nye county sheriff's department in nevada responded to us so once we led to another and you're another story we both agreed that he should come onto the podcast to share his story with you his story of a very major setback, which led to another setback. More importantly, what did Lieutenant Murphy do to turn these setbacks into positive situations? What is he doing now? What about him personally that makes him tick? That makes him appreciate life even more? Lieutenant Murphy, thank you so much for your time and your dedication and your service to your community, to our country. We appreciate you. We're rooting you on all the way from the 405. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Defining Moments Podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and today's very special guest is Lieutenant Murphy from the Nye County Sheriff's Department in Nevada. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for taking your time to come on to our podcast. Thanks for the invite. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I actually reached out to you because I saw you on Live PD probably, I don't know, a few weeks or maybe a few months ago. And we were chatting live, live tweeting, actually. And you actually answered a question. So it was like, man, let's try to connect with uh, the lieutenant, see if uh, he'd like to come on the show. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, um, I had one of my buddies talk me into trying that out. And so usually I work like Friday nights. So then on Saturdays, I kind of do a, what they you know refer to as a tweet along. Yeah. And it seems <laughs> to get like a ton of involvement and people seem to really like it. So I've kind of tried to keep it up, but sometimes my schedule doesn't work that way. Yeah. So if I'm available to do it, then I jump on there. And like I said, it gets, it gets a ton of respect and it looks like a lot of people have fun trying to learn, you know, trying to get to know personal stuff about all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if you think about it, what are, what are maybe one or two misconceptions about um, law enforcement or about you in your life that you'd like to uh, correct? if you will. I, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is I think it's just a, a lot of people. I'm not, I, I wouldn't say a lot, but like you said, the misconceptions that we get is people just think we wake up every morning and put in our mind that we're going to injure somebody or we're going to take somebody's life. And that, that's just not the way it is. Right. We are, you know, we're as human as everybody. Uh, we feel pain. We feel stress. Um, we're just out there trying to do a job, you know, and that's what I tell a lot of people when I teach classes and stuff is, you know, we're like a construction worker. We're just our jobs to enforce laws, you know, and, and more than anybody, we want to go home every night. You know, that's our ultimate goal is to go home. Yeah. And, you know, the one I always like to use is you want to go home in the same condition you came to work. You know, and I think that's very important because we have families too. And, you know, um, I think it's horrible when you read these stories like recently where you got these guys that are being murdered and killed by somebody just because they didn't want to go to jail and they have little children. You know, people yeah. don't understand that that changes lives and that, you know, neither here or there, that child's never going to see their parent ever again. Yeah. You know, or the family or anything like that. And I've experienced that wholeheartedly. And I imagine we'll get into that in a little bit too, but um, it's just, I think that's the biggest misconception is we're just trying to do our job and go home. Yeah. And it's a respect kind of thing, you know? And, you know, I, I always do that every day in my line of work is I try to be respectful toward people. Respect is, given and earned at the same time you know i can talk to somebody somebody very calmly and then if i feel like i gotta be stern with them then i gotta be stern with them yeah i'm just trying to do my job yeah no that that's true and you talked about respect being earned and it's earned over time and i you started as an emt for a couple of years and you worked your way up through the ranks from k9 to um to lieutenant right now correct that's correct um my uh, career started with emergency service in 1992 when I was 18 years old. I joined the fire department here in uh, Pahrump where I live, and uh, I stayed there for about um, 11 years. Um, 
the last couple of years I uh, got hired and was a paid EMT uh, firefighter. And then um, one of my friends came up to me that I knew from working with, he worked at the sheriff's office and he just really convinced me to make the switch over to the sheriff's office. So in uh, 2003, I uh, made that switch, went through the police academy, which was six months of you know vigorous training, and then uh, hit the street running. Um, after about uh, about a year, year and a half, I became a field training officer. And then about a year, almost two years after that, I then went into our canine unit, and I spent about six years in canine. Mm-hmm. And then um, in 2010, or I'm sorry, 2009, I went... And um, I got uh, selected as a detective and tested for detective and then went into the detective, our general assignment bureau. And then um, in 2015, I tested for sergeant, passed that test, got promoted to sergeant. And then the way it works in our agency is after sergeant, then you're basically appointed by the sheriff or, you know, once you get to the sergeant going higher, like a lieutenant where I'm at now, that's yeah. basically uh, a promotion done by the sheriff, you know, test or anything like that. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the mindset like when you go from EMT to K-9 to just, uh, what's the mindset like? Because there's got to be a mind sh- mindset shift as you're going through. It, it is. I was kind of, when I first started, I was kind of naive. Because I thought when my buddy brought it up to me, I'm like, you know, it wouldn't be that much different because I'm with the fire department. I see all the stuff the cops go to anyway, and it wouldn't be that much different. But then when I started doing the job, it was like you start noticing how many calls that law enforcement, that our agency as officers go to that fire never shows up to. So that was a huge misconception I had because I was like, you know what? I can do this job. I've already done it. Then you get out there and it's like, you know, they don't. They don't show up to the domestics very much. They don't show up to this very much. They don't show up to that very much. So you have this, mis- <laughs> I had this misconception that it was basically the same job and it wasn't even close to being the same job. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're working as a canine handler, you, how intense was that to be a canine handler? That was probably in my almost 17 year career. That's probably been the funnest job I've ever done. Yeah. I, um, I worked, um, uh, I started out as a canine handler with a narcotics um, handler protection dog. And then after a couple of years, they switched me over to a, a, a bomb dog. And that's where I finished my canine career was with a bomb dog because then I promoted to detectives. But it was very rewarding. I love that job. Um, that dog, I, my bomb dog, I really became really close to her. She was actually my partner when I got wounded in the line of duty. Um, but we had a great bond. And then when I went to detective, she went to a different handler. And then when they retired her, I actually took her and brought her into my home and she lived her final days as a, you know, as a home dog. Yeah. And my uh, wife spoiled her every day she could. And she died. She passed away a happy dog, mm. but that's the way it should be. She was a, she was a great partner. Yeah. Yeah. 
You mentioned your wife. Does she want to come on the camera and say hi? He doesn't want to come on and say <laughs> hi. She's like, I'm not coming. I'm not going near one. I'm staying away from it. <laughs> She's a little camera shy. She doesn't do the camera thing too much. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I hear music in the, or where do you guys watching? Someone's watching something she's, in the background. Uh, she's watching something on TV. It's okay. kind of like, that's kind of like her zen. Okay. She works with us at the sheriff's office. So, you know, on the weekends and our days off, that's where we just kind of try to zen and just be with yeah. each other and just kind of let work go because it's stressful for both of us. You know, she works in our front office dealing with, you know, the administrative part. And then I deal with my lieutenant part and sometimes out on the street. So yeah. when we get our days off and weekends, we just our family just sit and chill and hang out with the dogs and just try to do very little, a little bit of honeydews, but then it's like, we're good. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And uh, also thank you for your service to your community, man. That's, thank you. Thank you. What you're doing out there is amazing. Every time I watch live PD and you guys are on, we're just, just everyone who's on live PD is like, Holy cow. You know, it's, it's intense. I actually did a ride along with Oklahoma highway patrol trooper Flores here a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. 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 We, I worked, I worked last night. I just went out and worked because as a, as a Lieutenant, we don't have a standard shift. So if you want to go out and just kind of, you know, go out and drive around and help patrol out. So I did that last night and my wife rode with me. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of cool for her to get to see that side of it. And she enjoys it. And, yeah. You know, sometimes she doesn't like the way I, approach houses and stuff she kind of gets nervous about that oh yeah life thing, but she lives with it and it kind of keeps it close so right right you uh last night was new year's eve right. so how is the traffic level new year's eve compared to a regular night for you so last night it wasn't too bad um we were a little steady in the beginning but they uh they have a you know, because in Nevada, the gambling is legal, you know, and all yeah. that. So they have a couple of casinos out here that um, they did like live bands and stuff. So the traffic wasn't bad, but they, you could tell that that's where a lot of people were because the parking lots were just jamming. Yeah. But we um, um, we had some pretty productive stops last night. And, you know, we had some people that um, they... Uh, we're drinking and so we had to deal with that a little bit but not it wasn't really too bad no no bad accidents or anything like that but it was a steady night i, yeah. I think we stayed on until about 2 a.m wow well so i guess that's do bars ever close in nevada uh sometimes they do um <laughs> yeah. the, the casinos don't though the casinos are 24 right. 7 but um the way the bars work out here is they um it's basically the people part of it, you know, is if they're busy, they'll stay open all night. If they start to die out 1, yeah. 2 a.m., then they just close their doors. But they really don't have a set standard if they're busy. They just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. The I, I was wondering just the intensity of your job every day when you go out there. I mean, because no one's guaranteed anything in life, right? That's and correct. Then, also, law enforcement, I, mean, I think the chances just you're, you're taking an absolute gamble. Every right. Day. You, you are. You are. And, um, you know, I tell people sometimes you don't even think about that. I mean, it's just you come out of that car and it's just your mindset is your mindset. and You're just ready to do your job, you know, and 
sometimes you think about it afterwards and you're like, you know, I, I can't believe that happened or, you know, I can't believe we made it through okay. Or you just sometimes like you and I've talked about um, through text messages and with each other is sometimes you just don't have time to think about it. You just have right. to act and you have to go in and um, you have to save lives and that's our job. And, yeah. You know, as you know, around the entire country, people say that all the time. They're like, you know, yeah, cops don't make enough, but for us, it's not the money. You know, mm -hmm. for me, it's just out helping people. And like I said, I started this EMS thing in 1992 when I was 18 years old. And I, I just, you know, and I just love it. And I tell people that all the time, you know, from the incident that I, that I showed you and the stuff I've been through over my career is, you know, the stuff that's happened to me is, is horrible. But yeah. to me, it's still the greatest job in the world. And I wouldn't yeah. want to do anything else. Yeah. You know, I still love this job no matter what's happened to me in my career. Yeah. No, I can feel the passion every time we talk about it, every time we text about it, even through our tweets, I can feel the energy and the passion that you, you have. And then your voice and your body language solidifies that passion. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, what you talked about it. the mindset is if we worry about getting hurt for an athlete, you worry about getting hurt, you're going to get hurt. Probably really worse. So same thing here. I mean, I would think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, if you go into a situation where you're just, it's kind of a bad term, but like you said, you're just kind of gun shy because you're afraid you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Then like you said, that's where you get hurt mm -hmm. because you just, you don't watch everything. You don't pay attention to everything. And yeah, you know, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these incidences, you know, like with my incident, I'm only here because of the, you know, several factors, but one of the main factors is, is that my training, you know, my training taught me to never give up. My training taught me to fight through, you know, and that's what you're, that's why we train. That's why yeah. we, you know, and like you said, I'm one of those guys that over my career, I've always thought that way. When I go to a call, I'm always thinking if this happens, this happens. And for me, it's if the worst happens, then I do this. And, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, it doesn't happen to be really anything. Yeah. But that 0.1% that of where it does, you just hope you do the right things and, and you have the will to survive and you go home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. And by the way, nice shirt. If you lean back Thank a little you. bit, let's do the slick look at that shirt. That's pretty slick. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. I like that. So yeah, you get a live PD, they give you a t-shirt? Uh, sometimes they give us some <laughs> stuff just to say thanks. and Yeah. You know, because we all work very hard, you know, and a mm -hmm. lot of people don't know behind the scenes stuff, but, you know, it's a whole team. You know, we got to go out and do our job and the crew's got to, you know, present it to New York and, and they, you know, it's all a team effort to get every, everything you guys see on TV. It's all a team effort. And if you don't yeah. have that, you know, we always joke about it because we want to get on so bad, but the crews are the same way. They want to be able to say, hey, we got on tonight. And, you know, so it's a huge team effort. Yeah. It's a huge team effort. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we don't have uh, – we're not live PD, but we do have T-shirts that I we do. I do love your T-shirt. Yep. <laughs> and so nice, we'll be mailing you nice one shirt. of those. I appreciate then, that. Also, we have uh, this mug we got designed for you. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Murphy on the bottom. I like it. Yeah. That's so, awesome. That's awesome. Email. I appreciate it. All yeah, right. Absolutely. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, so we – this, this podcast is about defining moments and you go through life and you have these moments that shape you, take you down a certain path, or maybe it's helped you think about 
how am I going to help others? So if you don't mind sharing with our listeners and our viewers, because it's on YouTube, what, what's maybe a defining moment or two that you'd like to share with everyone? Well, you know, you and I have had a lot of discussions about that, that one incident. And um, so um, a lot of people don't know this about me and they've, some of them, some people do because I've talked a lot about it. But so in uh, September 19th of 2008, um, I was dispatched to assist um, one of our officers on a um, report of shots fired, which out here happens a lot because we have legal fireworks. We're very spread out. So a lot of people will call and say it's shots fired or they hear shots and, you know, they'll get on there and say it's definitely a gun. And then you get out there and it's fireworks. And so it's not out of the norm. So. Um, that night, my partner um, in Deutsch, he gets dispatched to the report first. And when he arrives, he comes over the radio and says he's taking active fire. Um, so immediately, the, there's five of us on. We all start heading out there because, of course, if he's taking fire, there's something wrong. So as we're getting that way, he proceeds to say that, you know, he can't tell where the shots are coming from exactly because it's dark. It's about probably about two, two fifteen in the morning. And, uh, so it's dark. Um, it was a pretty good moonlight that night. So you could see, but not like daylight. So, um, a sergeant and one of the detectives arrive with him and then they have me go to a different area. So we're not shooting at each other. So I park, I exit my vehicle and it's an RV park and there's a big uh, mound around the outside of the RV park to give it some privacy from the roadway. And it's it's a large RV park. They got a huge lake and there's a lot of people that stay there. And uh, so I start advancing in, have my firearm out, going up the hill. Um, I remember specifically seeing a guy over to my left in the RV park standing under like a street light. And the first thing I thought of was, that's kind of weird because this guy's been constantly firing since the beginning. And I'm trying to think to myself, why would somebody be standing out there when you see the cop cars and, you know, you can hear the shots. And so I keep walking and all of a sudden, for some reason, and to this day, I can't say why, something tells me to turn to my left. And I turn to my left and I guess he thought I saw him and he opens fire on me. And I end up falling down the hill to the bottom and then I'm laying flat on my stomach pointing back up. And without thinking about it, I just kind of thought, where was the flash from? So I start returning fire and I know I'm hit. I just at that time didn't know how bad I was hit. So uh, I call out that I'm shot um, and I start to get myself out. And by the time I get probably about I was probably about 200 yards, 250 yards from my vehicle. So I started heading back to my vehicle and one of my other partners showed up as I collapsed and drugged me out the rest of the way. Um, as soon as she got me out of there, it turned back into a war zone. They started opening fire on the other officers. Um, so they called medics in for me. They load me in a helicopter because by helicopter, we're only about 25 minutes from Las Vegas. And we have a, a level one trauma center in Las Vegas. So they immediately fly me out there um, at that. And I still at this time don't know how bad I'm shot. I don't know. I just know that I'm shot. Yeah. Um, I get into Vegas and everything kind of starts to slow down. They start running tests and all that. And 
at the end of everything, they find out at the end of the investigation and everything's wrapped up and I'm at the hospital, they find out that he shot me three times. Um, he was, he had a 45 revolver and I was six feet from him when he shot me. I just couldn't see him. So what had happened is in the park, they have these decorative rocks that are huge. He basically hid behind the rock. And when I walked past him, that's when he ambushed me and shot me. Oh my. So, so I had, um, they found out I had one, the first round hit me in my stomach, but my vest stopped out. The second round entered my left rib cage and went all the way through me and came out my back. And then the third round went in my exit wound of the second round and went all the way up my back and into my shoulder. Um, and then that was in there for like two or three weeks and then it got infected and I had to go back in and they surgically, cause they decided in the beginning they were going to leave it and let it get all, cause they, I guess they do something where they say your body kind of accepts it and it helps not get infected. Mm. Well, it got infected. So they had to go in and cut it out and take it out. And, um, but um, that was a real trying time in the beginning because I'd only been on like five years at that time. Mm-hmm. And we found out down the road, like about four years ago that I just didn't do the things I shouldn't have done or I should have done. I didn't take care of myself. Um, I was one of those guys. I just want to get back on the street. Um, you know, the first thought I had is, Every morning I get up from this point forward, I'm going to see the wounds. I'm going to see the scars and he's changed my life forever, but he's not taking my career from me. Yeah. Um, so I dealt with a lot, not too much in the beginning. Cause I was just like, I just kind of, you know, my most important thing was get back to work. So about four years ago, I just took a turn for the worst and I started having anger issues and started, you know, just kind of not doing well. Um, there was points where like you were talking about, we were talking about earlier where you're kind of gun shy. I, I would have times where I could go out to a domestic and I'd be fine. And then 10 minutes later, I could go to another domestic and I would think in my mind that I would be the only person that's going to get shot and killed. Mm. So I had, you know, that took a, that took a lot, but my retaliation to that was that I just got, became angry with everything. So finally, as you you're married, you know, your wife, your wives call you out on your crap, basically. And my wife, my wife called me out on my crap and was like, you know what, this is not right. You need to get some help. So I went and got help. And now to this, to today, I'm, I'm better for it. You know, um, I, uh, you know, I just, one of the main things I do is I go around and teach for academies and I stand up in front of new recruits and tell them my story because there's a lot of people that I know that run academies that they think it's, you know, amazing that you can have somebody stand up in front of you and share this story and, and maybe touch them a little bit because like when I went through the academy, we didn't have anybody that has ever through that. So, you know, people stand up there, instructors stand up there and say, you want to fight and you want to do this, you want to do that. And now I look back at it today and I'm like, well, yeah, you want to do that, but you've never been there. So you don't know, you know, I, I, I know. And, you know, I, one of the things I say in my class all the time is I tell people, I go, you have to fight. You have to fight every second and you're not dead until you're standing at the pearly gates. I mean, that's the way it is. You know, you have, and you know, this too, you have so many people that care about you 
you just can't give up. And, you know, it's like I tell in the classes and I tell my wife about it all the time. If I can touch one person, they're laying down on the ground and they're in trouble and their lives on the line and they think in their mind, hey, I remember when Lieutenant Murphy told me, don't ever give up. And he fought through and I fought through. Then I've done what I've done. And I use your statement to that. You know, that right there is my defining moment is if I can save one person's life because of teaching these classes and helping them understand how important it is to survive, then maybe that, you know, you always have that old wives tale of, you know, something like this happens. Why am I still here? Why did I not die? And maybe that's, you know, like you and I've talked about, maybe that's why I'm here. Maybe that's why I'm here is to give that to new recruits and, you know, help them. And, you know, I do the same thing with like that story I shared with you with my partner. I use his incident too. And I want people to know, you know, students, especially that, you know, because when I teach his side of of his incident, I show how important it is that, you know, they see the funeral, they see this, they see that. So they should. You know, so it, it kind of touches them a little bit to see that, you know, and one point for him, it was 1.2 seconds and his life is over, you know, and you'll never get that back. I mean, he had a son and a daughter and a wife and his daughter will never see him again. That's, and I think, like I said a few minutes ago, that right there for me is my defining moment. Yeah. If yeah. I can, you know, have somebody remember that. You know, even my even my best friend, my partner, Ian, if he knew that his story and my story saved somebody's life, then his life is worth it. Yeah. You know, his life is worth it. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And that's powerful because I, I do remember uh, us talking about your defining moment and how you got ambushed and you shot, got shot three times. And yeah, it's almost a miracle you're alive today, pretty much. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, I've had, you know, when I got to the trauma center, the the doctor that was there, he said he had been a trauma surgeon for several years. And he said that he had never seen anybody with the injuries I had come in, let alone be alive, but talking and coherent and, you know, and they always said the only reason I'm here is because he used a large caliber weapon and he was so close to me. So the bullet couldn't do what it needed to do. Uh, but obviously, you know, you and I've talked about it a lot is there's several factors and who knows. And like I said, a few minutes ago, maybe, maybe that's the answer. Maybe the answer is, is I'm here to share that part of it and try to save others from, you know, one of the most important things I tell kids in these classes is, you know, it, it's not a job. It's your life every single day. And you need to know, and you've seen it, you need to know that every day you put on that badge and gun, somebody will try to take your life just because you wear that badge and gun. Yeah. It could be for nothing else. Yeah. You know, and it's just because you wear that badge and gun. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I had to reflect on a lot, you know, and like you and I talked about, I did a lot when I lay, I laid at home for two and a half months, I couldn't go to work. And, you know, two and a half months of laying in a bed with wounds and changing bandages every day. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you have a lot of time to think, yeah. you know, you have a lot of time to think about what's important and what's not. And, 
you know. And I think the hard thing is too is you get like I did, you get over that and you think you're doing good, and then eighteen months later your partner and best friend gets killed in the same same uh RV park where you were shot. So, you know, it's just you seem like you start to get ahead and then and like I told you in text messages and we've been talking, you know, eighteen months, it was it was a, a downright stressful eighteen months. Yeah. And you know, um, and I think that's why I work so hard to spread my knowledge of those two things because you know it kind of reversed where I had to go tell his I had to go to his wife's work and tell her that you know now he's shot and you know it it's just a, it was a spinball there for a while yeah and and like I've told you several times I'm better for it. And I think that's what I look forward to is one of the big things I look forward to is getting that information out to people and sharing my stories so that maybe these guys will think about it when they're in trouble. Or, you know, my wife always gets on me sometimes about it when I'm teaching because she'll see people cry. And she's like, doesn't that make you feel bad? And I said, no, not really. Because I see that emotion. It lets me know they're paying attention. They just stand there bold faced and give no reaction, then they're really not paying attention. Yeah. You know, if they have emotion, they're paying attention. And if that saves their life, then I've done my job. Yeah. No, that that's a good point. So you got shot and then you came back to work and, and you talked about your partner and you guys went back to the same same area again? Yeah, yeah. So what kind of happened was so shortly after I got shot. He got deployed to Afghanistan. He was in the National Guard. Um, and he left, went to Afghanistan, came back. Um, so what we do as an agency is when you're gone that long, you have to kind of be reorientated back into police work. So he was riding with a field training officer, second day back from Afghanistan, and they get called to a domestic where a guy had fired rounds at his girlfriend. Um, one thing leads to another. They pull into the casino RV park where I was shot at and they are told it's a pickup truck, but it's a, he's actually in a car. And when Ian pulls up, he steps out of the vehicle and the guy immediately steps between the door and his car with an AK 47. And in 1.4 seconds, he fires 11 rounds. Eight of them hit Ian and he gets. Um, and that the second arriving officer ends up um, taking the guy out and they end up basically doing the same like they do with me. They put him in a helicopter and fly him to Vegas. And several hours later, after surgery and stuff, they uh, they pronounced him. He was uh, 27 years old. So and like I said, with all that, loan the fact with like Ian, but now in the same spot I was in, you know, it. It was a lot to deal with. Um, the good thing for if there is a silver lining to the whole thing is we have a small community. So, you know, they ended up, we ended up doing a, you know, a lot of recognition for him. There's a couple buildings named after him now. There's a park named after him. So it really kind of showed me personally how the community steps up and, you know, recognizes somebody that in essence, you know, gave his life for the community. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it's so important that it's memorialized and we remember that um, your partner for sure. And then on the other side, you're, you're going around, you're, you're teaching, you're holding classes. And I could imagine that this is probably part of a, a healing process for you as well. It helps. It helps. I think it's, yeah. I think it helps. And, and I really, the one thing I do too is I, I don't have a script. So it's all kind of like you and I talked about, even like your defining moments is kind of just winging it, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that changes. And, you know, I have a, like the one I teach from, it's a, a PowerPoint that we develop with the radio traffic of my shooting and stuff like that. So um, I really don't have a set, you know, script. So I just kind of go through the motions and kind of, you know, every time something new gets added. But I think that's important too, is that, you know, it's not scripted. You just come yeah. there and, and, you know, you get these, it, it, sometimes it's kind of funny because you get these recruits where they're so stoic, you know, they're like frozen and they don't want to say anything. And, and when I teach, I teach that, you know, this is your time more than anybody, you know, like you and I talked about in the beginning, is there anything, um, you know, anything that we can't go over? No, no. And that's yeah. the same way I go with the class is, there is nothing that you can't ask me. And sometimes my wife will go to the class and she'll answer questions too, yeah. you know, from a, from a wife standpoint. And, um, and I think that's really where it comes to being very important is there's no holds barred. And, you know, I've had guys go all the way down to, you know, what it feel like and, you know, how'd you know this or, you know, what happened during this? What happened during that? One of the big questions I always get is, did it hurt? You know, and I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, you got these recruits that ask you, did it hurt? And then, excuse me, when I tell them no, they're kind of set back about, it didn't really hurt. And I go, no. I go, the only thing, the only thing that I will never forget is it felt like somebody had taken a hot right iron and went through my back. There was so much burning in my back from the heat. But other than that, you know, and so it, I like that. I like people being involved. I don't want to go teach a class where they, you say, you know, no hold barred. You can ask me whatever I want, whatever you want. I'm here for you. And yeah. then they don't ask anything. Yeah. You know, that'd be like you putting on a podcast and nobody, you and I don't even have a conversation. We just sit here and stare at each other. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, 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 I hope it's good, you know, and though, the one of the academies I deal with, I go every, I think he does an academy like every six months. So every six months in that time, I'm in there. And he kind of does it a good way because he has me come in just the day before they go do their range. So then it kind of puts that aspect of shooting, you know, all this stuff that you see. And now you're going to go out to a range and shoot this firearm. And, you know, so we try to put it all together. And I, I think it works very well. Yeah. And, like I said, if one day they're in trouble and that's what they remember, then I've done what I what I think. Like you and I laugh about my defining moment. I think I've done what I needed to do. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and I love it because when you go and present, there's nothing scripted, so it comes from a place from your heart, authenticity, organically. So it's like you can ask any question you want, and. You may answer, you may not, depends on you, but I got to feel like you're really unfiltered. So you probably answer every one of them. <laughs> right. And that's what I want people to know. There is no, you know, there is no hold, holds barred whatsoever. Cause like one of the important 
part of the stories that I like to share is my wife and I were just friends at the time. We weren't even together at the time, oh. but we knew each other. So I was, I was previously married at that time. And every time there's a point on the dispatch tapes where I come and say I'm shot. And every time, even though, like I said, we weren't together, she gets emotional over it. every time. And you just know. And, and even like me, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. Um, when I teach the class, she always teases me because I'm pacing. It's just, you know, you just know that at some point that's, you know, that part of the incident's coming up. And, and like I said, you, you never get over it. You never get over it. My life's changed forever. Um, but it's kind of like you and I talked in text messages. You know, you just have to find an av an avenue of where you serve better. You yeah. know, like like I said, I'll never forget it. I wake up every morning, I get in the shower, and I see scars, and I just have to live with that part of it. But the benefit is, is um, at least I'm here to experience that part. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, it's probably. It's probably way better than the alternative, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What are you, where are you most proud of? From that incident or just period? Just period. You know, I tell people one of the most things I'm proud about, and you and I have kind of touched the surface on that a little bit, is my son following in my footsteps. I think that is probably one of my biggest defining moments is um, – that he chose that path after everything. I mean, he was only like six years old, seven years old when I got shot. So for a, a child to do go through what that, I mean, because what, when I got shot, the captain came on and went to my house and knocked on my door. So my kids, my two sons and my wife, my wife at the time had to experience all that. And for a young kid to experience that and know that that happens, you know, he's basically like me, he's worn it, you know, he's experienced that side of it and to choose that career. I think that's huge. I mean, and I, I had to do some really deep soul searching when he told me that, you know, he wanted to do that. Yeah. And if it hadn't been for my wife, Chris, I probably would have, I probably would have chose a, a bad route on that because I was in the beginning, I was totally against it. I was totally against it because it's one of those things that the last thing I ever want to do in my life is go to my son's funeral. You know, that's the last thing I ever want to do. And, you know, my wife, Chris, finally sat me down one day and was like, you know what? It's better to have that gut feeling than stop him from having his dream. Yeah. And the other big thing was, you know, if he can come here and do it, then at least you know people. If he, because he was applying different other places, she's like, you know, what if he goes to Arizona, Utah, or whatever, and you don't know anybody there and he gets injured? You know, wouldn't you rather have him at home? And so, like I said, it took a, a ton of soul searching. And like I said earlier, with the whole wife thing, you know, you're going to lose that battle anyway. You know, she's going to, she's going to be the middle person. You know how that is. And, you really can't, you're really, you can try to debate it, but you're not going to debate it. And, uh, so he ended up doing it and, um, you know, he has his rookie mistakes, but all in all, he's a good cop and yeah. he, he's like, he, 
I tell people all the time, he reminds me of when I was first starting out, you know, a real go-getter, anything that moves, he goes after, you know, and, um, and he loves it. And I think that's important. You know, yeah. I think he, I, I am now happy that, you know, I listened to her, you know, that second voice and that he loves it as much as I thought he would because he does. He loves every minute of it. Yes. And I think that's awesome. That is awesome. I mean, it, following your uh, dad's footsteps, tall orders for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I always told him that too. I'm like, you know what? Don't, you know, I've, I've been here almost 17 years. Don't even worry about that. Just go do your own career, do your own thing, and get where you want to get. Yeah. You know? Like I did. You know, I never yeah. would have thought that I'd ever be a lieutenant, but things happen and, you know, it advances forward and, you know, he's just starting. I'm just getting ready to end. So maybe it'll be good, you know, and maybe he'll have a long career with it. I hope he will. Yeah, that's awesome. You know? What's a, what's something that you think you would regret <laughs> in the next five years if you don't do it? Um, wow, that's a tough one. Um, maybe just the biggest thing is just not living life, you know, um, I'm at a stage in my career, you know, you and I have talked about it in text messages where my ultimate goal is I have two ultimate goals right now. I'm coming to the end of my career. So my ultimate goal is to retire healthy. And, you know, and my second goal is to <laughs> enjoy my retirement and live my, my, my life to my fullest with my wife. That's yeah. one thing her and I always talk about is we want to get to a point where we can just you know, we have an RV and just go travel and not have any concerns and know that you did your job to your fullest. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy what, whatever, excuse me, whatever time you have left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What, a, what advice do you ha would you give your younger self? Um, I don't know. Uh, the advice I'd give my younger self is, um, I don't know, maybe ducked when you shouldn't have, you know, you should have or something. I, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say because, you know, like you and I've talked about that, that shooting thing defines you, you know, and, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. That's a tough one because. You know, I like you and I've talked about. It, I've had a lot of up and downs in my career, but um, if I had to tell my younger self anything, it probably would have been to get in the job sooner. Because mm. I, you know, I like you and I've talked about. It, I, I have a lot of love for this career, and instead of waiting until I was twenty nine, maybe I should have, you know, started this when I was eighteen instead of doing the other part. But you know, I'm not one of those that looks back. Um, you know, after the shooting and that is just one of those things that you're, um, you're lucky to be here and it's the way I, I believe it's the way it was written, you know, it happens for a reason and, you know, and, you know, you can't answer it. Yeah. Hopefully someday you may be able to, but I don't know. Um, that might be what I would say is should have went and done this way earlier instead of waiting until I was, 
29 years old. And all right, man. I like that. That's good honesty <laughs> right there. <laughs> I got a couple more questions and I'm intrigued about this question. So if you're sitting in my chair being the interviewer, what questions would you ask yourself? Holy crap. That's a, that's a bad <laughs> one, man. That's an interesting question. Um, I, I may cheat a little bit, but I, I may, uh, I may do like we've already talked about. I would just, you know, one of the things that you've already brought up is the passion part of it. I think that's what I, I would, I would ask myself from your seat is, you know, you can read the passion and see it. And, and I think that's huge for me because, you know, you get these people that every day in and day out, they hate their job. And I love my job. And I, I think that's hugely important. And, um, you know, like even you said, you can tell just by talking to me, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's not a lot of people have that. And I'm glad that I can have that. And I'm glad that I can have a wife that supports that. Because, you know, from even her side, like I said, we weren't together, but we were friends and she experienced that, you know, she, she came into work one day, you know, the, the next morning and coworkers started telling her, oh yeah, it was, you know, it was uh, Deputy uh, Eric Murphy that got shot. And, you know, we, we were acquaintances, we knew each other. And so she experienced that side of it. And now that we have a relationship and we're husband and wife and it's a whole different thing. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, she supports it, but she knows on the other side of it too, that I love every minute of it. I yeah. love it. And there's not a lot of people that can say that. And I think that's the way you have to feel to do this kind of a job because yeah. there are goods and bads. And, you know, like you and I've talked about the stuff we see over a career, it, it would make, People that aren't made to do this job, it would make them insane. You know, we deal with we deal with good and bad. Unfortunately, a lot more bad than good. But, yeah. Um, and I think that's why you got to have people in there that really love their job and yeah. love what they do. Yeah. When you pull someone over mm -hmm. for traffic stop, what's the majority of them? What's the attitude like? Uh, are they nice to you? Are they like, dude, what do you pull me over for? You know, what is it like? Um, you know, here with being a smaller community, we, we get a lot of, you know, um, the things I deal with a lot, especially like recently, like last night when I worked was a lot of my traffic stops that people know what they're doing. So it's a lot of apologetic. It's not, you know, um, defensive and, you know, um, you know, I hate the cops or whatever. And, right. and, and like I said, I'm just one of those guys that, you know, I, I know there's people around here in this community that don't like me, but I'm one of those guys that, you know what, if I approach your car and it's a nice, you know, consensual conversation, then we're good. But if you just immediately come at me, like, um, you know, it's something little and don't I have something better to do? Well, this is part of my job, you know, and I'm sorry that you're irate with me, but something small, what you think is small, like speeding is my job. Right. You know, and, and I, I, and I, that sometimes is hard to deal with, you know, that they have this misconception that, you know, we should be out catching real criminals. Well, we have 
several jobs we have to do. And unfortunately, that's part of enforcing laws. Yeah. And and I think a lot of it, too, is you get a lot of people that, you know, as soon as a cop pulls them over, they know they're getting a ticket. And I just, I don't like to do that. I If it's, you know, if it's highly infractionous or something like that, then okay. But um, a lot of mine is just contact with people. Hey, how are you doing? You know, pay attention to what you're doing, um, you know, and go on your merry way. Um, and that, that's the way I've always approached my job is I, you know what, it's more of the statement they use, you know, community policing. And I 100% live by community policing. I want to get out there and talk to people and, you know, go into gas stations and say hi to the clerks and go into stores and, you know, let people know that we're there for them. Yeah. And I, I just think there's, like you said, there's that standard now where a lot of people don't think that occurs you know and these small communities like ours we have to live every day with community police yeah man i I love that especially when you said going out into convenience stores or local stores just wherever you can get your face out and your your voice heard and your personality obviously it puts a lot of people at ease i feel well and i think too like you and i've talked about already is you know the whole the whole um, inception the whole ball of live PD you know um, I think that more than anything helps us because mm-hmm. I go into stores I go into restaurants and you know um, people come up shake my hand they want to take a picture with me I just had a guy a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago in Subway he comes up or a lady comes up to me and was totally like freaking out and she's like, can I take a picture with you? My husband will never believe I was standing in line. With you. <laughs> and, and a lot of people are like, ah, you know, and me, I'm like, sure, take a picture with me. And, yeah. you know, and the kids and, you know, um, we've had people where we're, you know, we have this thing where we meet up for lunch before we go on live and you'll have people come with their phones kind of videotaping and trying to catch everything. And then we sit there and go, Hey, come on over and take a picture. And they're like, are you serious? And they come over and take a picture with us. And, and I think that really is just community policing. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one thing that Live PD has done with that is they brought that into where people are seeing that, you know, they're seeing everything now and they're seeing what we do on a daily basis. And, um, and I think that's important, you know, and I, I, I think a lot of people think, you know, I've had people all the time ask me, is it cool being a movie star? And I'm like, I'm not a movie star. <laughs> I'm just doing my job and you get to see how I do my job every day. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those amazing things that I never thought in a million years I could be a part of, Yeah, you know, and, and the people you meet, I mean, you know, you and I were talking about it earlier, like Twitter. I mean, I've got hundreds and hundreds of, of guys that are on live PD that we're on Twitter together. We chat back and forth and, you know, we talk to each other and, and the crazy thing about that is that's guys you probably would have never, you know, guys, um, women, other police officers that you would have never met in a hundred years. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's the huge thing about it is it's just blowing that up to where, you know, there's agencies all over the country that I probably would have never even associated with these guys, even though we're in the, you know, the, 
the blue line family and all that, but I would have never met them on a one-to-one basis, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's the huge thing about it. I think that's what it's brought open is it's not only brought open people seeing what we do, but it's brought in those, that blue line family to be really stronger than ever. And, you know, and you see people feel what you feel and do what you do. And, and I think that's just amazing that this has brought that together. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And, you know, I'm starstruck because I'm actually talking to a, a hero <laughs> myself. So it's like, man, this is, this is really cool for us from Oklahoma. We're sitting there live tweeting and you're tweeting us back and it, yeah. it you make us feel special. And we definitely appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. <laughs> I really do. I, I enjoy attaching with people and talking to people and, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 all, it's all about humanizing the badge. Just man, exactly. You're you're a human behind that badge too, and you're there to enforce the laws. And if you're speeding, you're speeding. You know, and don't speed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I think that's one of those, like you said, those misconceptions of, you know, um, and I agree with it more than anybody is, you know, people. There are bad apples everywhere. Yeah. But I think that. Like you said earlier, that misconception is is one person's bad, so we're all bad, and that's just not the way it is. There, all over this country, there are there are really good police officers that want to do their job, and you know that old saying: we we cry and bleed just like everybody else does. You know, and um, I think that's what a lot of people forget is you know you got some guy that does something stupid and it's bad, and you know, and now everybody's bad and. And I just don't agree with that is, you know, we're just trying to do a job. We respect you. You respect us. And it's good, you know, and you just go day by day and, you know, you've got to be with the community. And I I just don't like that part of where, excuse me, where they're, you know, one guy's bad. Now we're all bad. Yeah. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm cognizant of your time. So my, Final oh, two good. questions. Oh, you're good. Okay. Um, <laughs> yep, I'm good. The uh, how does Lieutenant Eric Murphy want to be remembered? Oh wow, that's a good one. <laughs> how do I want to be remembered? Ah, I, I want to. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to be remembered as like you and I've talked about a couple of times already today. Is just human, you know that. I was there when people needed me and, you know, that um, people remember my dedication and my love for this career and, you know, um, the big things, you know, that people use, a good husband, a good father, you know, I hope that that's what, you know, that's what people look at. And um, I really, truly honest, you know, when I was going through my stuff, um, and I was seeing a psychiatrist after the shooting. Um, he asked me an important question, and I'll never forget it. And it was, if you died on that hill that day, could you think to yourself that you were satisfied with your life? And he said, if you're not satisfied, if you can't stand there and tell yourself that you're satisfied, then you need to change. And that's what I did. 
you know, I had a horrible marriage and, you know, I got out of that and I got remarried. Um, I love my wife more than anything. I love my kids more than anything. Um, my son just recently got married where he's got kids. So, you know, he married it with a woman that's got kids. So now I'm a grandfather, you know, I just add water grandfather, I guess you'd call it. Um, but, um, I think that would be the big thing is that, um, you know, today I can sit here in front of you and said, if my life ended tomorrow, that I would be 100% satisfied with my, my life. And I couldn't have done that before. And I think that's one of the big things is, is if you can be satisfied with that and be remembered for, you know, just not Eric Murphy, but the things Eric Murphy did, um, like I said earlier about these classes where people come up and say, you know, I went to Eric Murphy's class and I remember this and I remember that. I think that would be one of the big things is be remembered like that. And the most important thing of all is human, yeah. just being human to people. And I, I work very hard to be, and some people may not agree with that. And, you know, I've had run-ins with people that, you know, they're not good and that's just the way it is. But I always try to be human with everybody. Yeah. And sometimes you just can't do that. And you try your, you try your darndest to be human with them and it just doesn't happen. And I feel that that's one thing I strive hard to be. And that's the, one of the big things, like you said, what you would want to be remembered by. And I think that would be one of the big ones is just being human. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lieutenant. Um, thank you to the men and women at the Nye County Sheriff's Department. Keep going out on live PD. Uh, <laughs> and how do people get in touch with you? Not necessarily your cell number, but through email, through social media. So one of the things you and I have talked about a lot is um, I spend a lot of time just connecting with people on Twitter. Yeah. So if they just go to at LTE Murphy, so it's basically LT and then E for my first initial and then Murphy. And I got no problem chatting with people. And, you know, um, I get a lot of requests for, you know, uh, pictures. And um, me and my son, Cody, not too long ago, had uh, uh, Live PD posted a picture of me and him together. So some people sent us some of those pictures and we autographed them and sent them back, which is that's kind of crazy in itself. Somebody wants your autograph for doing your job, but um, it makes people happy and that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, um, like I said, I, 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 I love the moment and, you know, people want to reach out and say, Hey, what's up? And I'm going to try and get back this new year, you know, now that it's a new year and things have kind of teetered off a little bit from the holidays. I'm going to try and get back to my normal of life, tweeting with people and, Staying in contact with you, of course, and oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So on Twitter, it's at at LT Murphy, LTE, LTE Murphy. Yep, yep. Um, and email? Do you have an email? Can people email you? I, I, uh, yeah, I do. It's um, um, the Murph. It's M U R P H, the letter K, and nine, the number nine mm -hmm. four at yahoo.com. Murph K nine four at yahoo.com. Okay, we'll make sure we put all that in our uh, release when we release the podcast and our show notes, etc. This will be on on YouTube. This will be on podcasting platforms from Spotify to iTunes, iHeartRadio. So it'd be awesome to yeah, that's cool. We look forward to releasing this for sure. Yeah, 
Well, you and I've talked about it a lot. We've we both said back and forth to each other how excited we were to actually sit down and uh, yeah and do this. And it, it, it's like I like you and I were talking earlier. It's kind of exciting to hook up with you guys that are doing podcasts and stuff. And you know, as excited as we are to talk to you guys, you guys are just as excited to talk to us. So it's kind of cool. Oh yeah, it's a fun time and get to know a lot of personal stuff about people and see the real us. And I think that's important. That's exactly right. And that's what we wanted to see is it's the real you, the, the personal side of it. So that way we, people get to know you more than just you being the Lieutenant Allen Nye County, you know, I mean, that's a prestigious job. However, right. you know, you got who's, who's Eric Murphy, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think that's what you said is a lot of people just know Lieutenant Eric Murphy. A lot of people yeah. just don't know. A lot of people don't know Eric. And I, and I think that's what is important through this whole thing of live PD. And that is people get to see, you know, not only the job we do on TV, but the personal side of, like you've brought up several times today, of how important things are and what's your defining moment. And, and I think that's, I think that's a huge, um, applause to you and the work you put through and, and, you know, like we've talked through text messages and all that, you know, we've opened up a friendship that will never end now. You know? Right. And that's a, and I think that's another big thing about this whole ball of wax, this whole show and IPD <laughs> is you, you develop friendships that, you know, like any other time you and I probably would have never even know each other existed. You know that's what true. I'm saying? And, <laughs> and I think that's huge. And you know, like you and I were talking about on text message where we were sending pictures of family back and forth while we we're on vacation. And yeah. <laughs> like I said, that's a, that's a bond that, you know, I'm in Hawaii. You were over in um, Antigua. Antigua. Yeah. And here we are sharing pictures with each other that, you know, we share with like we're family. And, yeah. And I think that's huge. I, and I think, and like I said, I have to give you applause on your dedication to getting that to getting that the word out there and picking these, you know, picking these officers and really setting down and getting to getting to know them. Cause like you said before, when you and I talked, you, you know, our schedule was a little haywire to actually get this done for a while. Yeah. And we finally got it done. And, and I think that shows a huge step for you to have that dedication. Cause yeah. you know, you have a busy schedule. I have a busy <laughs> schedule. Everybody has a busy schedule. So yeah. the dedication of getting that done, I think it's I think it's amazing what you do. Well, thank you so much, sir. Last question. Of course. Lieutenant Eric Murphy, do you approve this podcast? I approve it, buddy. It's been <laughs> a great time. It's been awesome. I'm really I'm really glad that we got to talk and sit down and um you know, uh talk about things and it's been it's been cool. Oh, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Wong Lam. I definitely approve this podcast. Lieutenant Eric Murphy, check your mail sometime here next few, probably about within a week. Hopefully you'll uh, enjoy your treats that we are sending your way. Oh, I definitely will. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you again so much for your time and your dedication to your community and the country. Absolutely, buddy. You take care of yourself. Tell your wife hi and you guys take care. You Happy got it, New sir. Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. 
visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.